Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. And so what I wanted to do this morning is just um, share this with you, share a little bit of my story, and invite you in to it. Because what I know is as we talk about spiritual gifts, as we talk about the power and presence of God poured out, it can be so easy to forget that all of this is about a man <laughs> named Jesus, right? And, and we love the Holy Spirit. We love the power of God. We love the presence of God. We love the spiritual gifts. And yet, all of those things flow from one person, from Jesus. Um, and so I, I wrote this phrase that, that kind of my life, like as I was processing my, my story of faith, and I don't know where your story of faith is this morning. You might have been in faith for 50 years or you might not even believe yet in, in, in the whole thing. You might be a seeker, might be curious, but wherever I, I want to share this with you is kind of like, because I sat with my friend Lance and he just said, what is your mission? right? Like your unique mission. Why did God place you on the earth? And it's so interesting because you get churchy right away. You're like, oh, well, to you know, glorify God, Westminster Catechism, you know, whatever it is. You're just like, you kind of go instantly to those things. And then he's like, okay, yeah, but let's go deeper. And if you know me, I don't like going deeper. Like I don't enjoy that. It's, I'm not a vulnerable person with people. Like I can be more vulnerable here than I can one-on-one. -on -one. So I was just like, oh, this is so hard. So I was just like, okay, okay. What is it about my life? Why do I exist? And it just, we just kept digging, 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 digging. And it really came down to this part that um, why my life exists is tied to what Jesus did in me. As a 19-year-old kid, and I remember just having this phrase, my heart burns for Jesus. That's it. My heart, it burns for him. I was, I was a pastor's kid. I was wild. Oh, man, I um, did everything you can imagine that your youth pastor would tell you not to do. And then I became a youth pastor, and I told kids not to do that stuff. Um, and then they all did it anyways. And it's fine. God's got it under control, right? It's going to be okay. But I, I just, I, I mean, I got arrested. I drank. I partied. I, I smoked weed. I did all that stuff that you just think of, like, all the things that would basically most embarrass my parents. I did, right? And I remember just being so broken about my life and my choices because I knew the whole time. I had that kernel of the kingdom in my heart. I knew this whole time that someday I would change, I just knew it. I just like, I knew, my mom said this. She said, we raised you in such a way that you would never be happy living a life of sin. 
And I remember just laying there in the middle of the night, just being like, dang it, mom, like this. I had the greatest night until I put my head on my pillow and I realized this is not what I was made for. I'm not happy, right? This is like a false self. This is the Jonathan that parties and drinks and is funny and is risky and uh, all this stuff that just wasn't really me. And then my sophomore year of college, really, God got a hold of my life. And it was in the kind of things that we're doing now, it was in worship. It was, it was with friends, seeking God, worshiping God, pouring my heart out to him that I realized that my core, the core thing in my life is that I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper because my passion in my heart is for him. And it's interesting because then I get called into ministry and it's so easy to do ministry out of like technique and strategy and talent and abilities and all the things people say you should be and not do it from the heart. You know, because when I got saved and when I got called, I got called into ministry at a, a revival in Norman. I don't, I, a revival, a revival service, right? I don't know if actual revival took place, but it happened in me. And I remember we had this night of worship. It was me and all my friends in college and we're there and we're just, just pouring our hearts out in worship. And then this pastor gets up and he just is like, I feel like there's people in this room who are called by God to give their whole lives to ministry. And if you knew me at the time, you know, my, I was like, the last thing I will ever do with my life is be a pastor. I was just like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to work for a church. I, it's really hard. It's hard on our family, all this stuff. I was just like, no. And next thing I knew, I was at the altar. It was like I got beamed. I mean, I, I just literally was just like, my body started moving <laughs> like a hand was on my back. And next thing I knew, all my friends were around me and they're just praying over me. And I just remember saying, Jesus, I just meant like, I love you. And if you'll use me to show other people what it looks like to love you, I want to do that. And that was just my heart. My heart just burned for him. And Jesus says this, right? Or John says this about Jesus. He, he says, John, I, John, baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> I love that. I got baptized in college in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And there's these things that were really important to me as I, as I processed this. And it was really interesting because I realized like God's worked in my life in decades, 1998, 2008, 2018. And these really important things, I don't know if you've ever like looked over your life and tried to connect some of those. I don't know why, but it's just maybe something he's done in my life. But what I wanted to do is just, I wanted to read, because one of the things that happened was God's word came alive in this time of my life. And I had some, just some really key Scripture. So like I said, I was, I was kind of a, a wild kid, and I had a lot of guilt and shame. I had a lot of um, remorse about how I treated people, um, how I used people. Like I led, I was a leader, I was always a natural leader, and I led people away from God, not to God. And I just felt a lot of, oh, God, I can't believe I wasted all of those opportunities. I could have been uh, someone who stood up in a high school right, for you. And so Psalm 51 just became really important to me. I want you to hear it this morning. Maybe hear it with fresh ears. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. I just remember getting this point saying like, you're right, God, and I'm wrong. <laughs> you're, you're right about who you are. You're right about who I am in this moment. And I know, I knew I was wrong. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me from his, with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. I just remember longing for a pure heart. Um, I'm always impressed by people who have naturally pure hearts. Anybody else? I just, I'm like, oh. God made you such a naturally pure heart and I kind of hate you, but I love it about you because I, I just like naturally have this like hunger like for the edges of things and for the, you know, just the darker sides of things. I just feel like there's something about like the way I was made that I just like, oh, I want to be pure though, God. Have you ever had that feeling? You're just like, God, I want to be pure and I know that I'm not. Can you help me? Can you wash me? Can you cleanse me? Can you purify me? Can you blot out my iniquity? So create in me a pure heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I love this part. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. I remember just being like, God, if you'll purify me, I will do that. I'll share what you've done in my life. If you'll do this in me, I will not hide it. I will share it with everybody I meet. I will talk about it. Another really important one for me was Romans 8. Because you wonder, right, what your story means and how God will use it. You wonder, like, are all these, like, parts of my life available for God to use? Or are there parts that he's just like, no, no, we're just going to wipe that out. But he says this, and we know that in all things... All things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all, all else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God took this time in college to just settle me into this idea that there is nowhere I could go, there's nothing I could do that would ever separate me from his love. 
So it was like this thing of, of um, no matter what happens in your life, Jonathan, you don't have to, um, you don't have to question your faith. You don't have to worry. You don't have to run around. You don't have to fix it because my love is always there for you. There's nothing that could separate you from God's love. And I feel like God did this work in my heart. And it's funny because I grew up in this uh, tradition that was, you know, um, this theological debate. I remember having a debate with a guy uh, in a hotel room in Missouri where basketball players were laying in bed and he was Southern Baptist and we're Church of God. So he believed in eternal security. We believed in eternal insecurity. And we're like, we're like, going at it. I was like, you can't, you know, it was just so funny. And yet at that time, God was doing that in me. He was securing me in his love, saying there's nothing you could ever do that could take you away from my love. Like, I'll love you forever. I'm making this covenant vow with you. And you could break it, but you can't break my vow. You can break your vow, but you can't break my vow to you. Nothing can break my vow to you. I'm with you in everything. And so in that, in that time, friends, I, we were just such goofballs. It's, it's funny because we were just like so new to worship in the presence of God. We just started worshiping all the time. My friend had keys to a free will Baptist church. I don't know what that means. They're Baptists, but they have free will. I, get, I mean, I was like, I love how descriptive they're like free will Baptist church, just so you know. Um, and it was just this little church and more that some of you are from Southsiders, you will know this church, this King's Gay, King's View, Free Will Baptist Church, like 134. My friend had keys. So we'd just go to this church late at night, me and my three friends, and we'd turn on passion worship music and we'd worship for three or four hours. I mean, just like long periods of time and we would dance around like idiots and we'd be on our face and we'd cry and we'd pray for each other and we're all over the room and, you know, the, the nights before we have chapel at Mid-America, we would do these prayer walks around the building and we'd put our hands on the building and we're like, God, shake this building with your power. You know, it's just like, it was so, it, but it, it changed my life because we saw God bring revival on that campus that year. And we were just praying all the time. We were in the prayer room three or four nights a week. Uh, everywhere in Oklahoma City where there was worship happening, you would find our little crew. So we were at Church of the Harvest all the time. Trent and I laugh because we're like, I was there when, you know, the girl from Hillsong came and we're like, who's the, who are these Australians? You know, now they're just like, they're everywhere. But back then it was like, it was like, who, who are these people? And then Dennis Jernigan, Night of Praise. Anybody, Night of Praise, raise your hand. Night, anybody, yeah. We just go there and be like, this is so awesome. It's like, we're all the conservatives in Oklahoma City. We're like, it's cool to go here. It's safe. Some hands raised, some, but it's awesome. And it was just like these places that we just, we started a service called Soul Asylum, which is so Gen X. Um, it's, it, and it is so goofy and so formative. Because that, that night of soul sign was just college students getting together to pour their hearts out to Jesus. It was just, it was 90% worship with a short teaching. And, and God did so much in our hearts. And so that's what launched me into ministry was this burning love for Jesus. I was obsessed with the gospels. And I'm so glad I didn't move too quickly into other writings. I just read the Gospels over and over and over and over again. This man, Jesus, just love him. I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to be like him. And God launched me into, into ministry. And so that was 98, right? And then 2008 came, 
And um, most of you know this, my first wife, Samantha, was killed in a car accident. And I got thrust into this place where all these verses I read 10 years before had to be real. Right? They're not just fairy tales anymore. They're not just well wishes. It's, it's stuff that this either matters and it's real and it's true and I can live my life on it or I, I got to chuck it all. I'm done. This isn't true. And in, the, in that place, um, I'm in the hospital uh, the day after uh, the accident and I'm laying in this hospital room. I have no, I don't know where my wallet is. I have no ID. I have nothing. I haven't seen Anybody, I'm just there all day by myself. I've got a stack of just blood-soaked clothes in the corner. And I'm here just laying there going like, I was just in such a haze because God didn't feel present one single time at all. Like in the midst of the accident, after the accident, in the aftermath, on the ambulance ride back, as they scrubbed out my wounds and gave me shots and all this stuff and moved me to my room, not one time did I feel God's presence. I just felt so alone. Like alone is the only word I can, I can say. And then this man showed up from Colorado Springs. One of our close family friends called him and said, my friend needs help. And he drove from Colorado Springs to Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Drove probably five hours to get there. He shows up. I don't know this man. He doesn't know me. And he just sits down and he starts talking. And it's awkward, as you can imagine. And yet he just had this presence about him. And it turns out he had lost his daughter, lost a daughter, and he's a man acquainted with suffering like Jesus. And we got to this point where he just said, what were you learning? Like, what were you studying? What was God doing in your life before all of this? And I remember saying like, this is crazy, but I was studying resurrection. In the season before, I was just obsessed with what is the resurrection? What does it mean to go to heaven when you die? What is this, what's this body that Jesus promises us? What does this all mean? And I said, I've just been reading 1 Corinthians 15. And he, he said this, he goes, let's read it together. And I remember just going like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. And so he finds the Bible, he opens it up, 1 Corinthians 15, and, um, and so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like waiting for him to start, and he's just looking at, his, at the Bible, and then he goes, uh, here, why don't you read it out loud? And I remember thinking like, I'm going to die if I read this verse out loud. I, I, like, I don't have the strength, and I can't believe you just asked me to do this. And yet, in the midst of this, I start reading and I'm just going to read a little portion to you. I want you to imagine me laying there. All the vows that I've given God, they're all like bubbling at the surface. And it's, it's like the valley of decision, right? You get these moments. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And it says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory." 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this end part, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When I read that part, brothers, another version says, stand firm. It was like my spirit man jumped out of the bed and said, that's true. It's true, and I will stand firm in the truth of the resurrection of the dead, because if that is not true, we have nothing. It says earlier, if, 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 the rest, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have, above all people should be pitied, because you are wasting your time in this room right now if Jesus was not raised from the dead, and if he will not raise you to someday. What a waste of time. But if it's true... <laughs> It's true. It changes everything. And in the midst of that, you can stand firm. And in that moment, my heart lit again for Jesus. Just the flickers, just the fire just got rekindled. And I remember going like, Jesus, I will work for you. In that room, if I can't say I'll work for you here, then what does it mean anywhere else? In this place, I will plant my flag in you for your kingdom for the rest of my life. I won't give up. I won't take the easy way out. I'll show up for my life, (laughs) what you've given me, what you've done in me, what's happened to me. I will keep going. You bring the fire in my heart, and I will obey. Stand firm. Be unmovable. Fast forward to 2018. I go on sabbatical, and I'm just in a hard place in ministry. It's been 20 years of ministry, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle. And I remember just telling the Lord, Lord, if the next 20 years are like the last 20, I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. I don't want to do church anymore. I don't want to just check the boxes. I don't want to just preach sermons. And it was like, God took me back. It's like, Lord, I just want my heart to burn for you again. That's it. I just want to burn for you. And I want the church to burn for you. I want your fire in the church. And he took me to John 4, where Jesus tells the woman, he says, the father seeking worshipers. And I read that scripture differently in that moment. It was like all of a sudden, Jonathan, like, The father isn't seeking preachers or leaders or wealthy people or people who've got all their life together. They've checked all the boxes. They're just perfect. He's seeking people whose hearts are burning for him. And if he finds that, he can do anything else, (laughs) right? If he's God, he's like, I don't need your talent. I don't need your money. I don't need all this other stuff. I need your heart. I need your heart. And friends, we can walk through church in a way that you can just come and go and come and go and come and go and your heart never gets touched with the fire. And the whole world, the world, the flesh, and the devil are conspiring to douse that fire. Like we talked about a few weeks ago with with apathy, 
with brokenness, with suffering, with bad theology, right? With, with depression, anxiety, whatever you name it, it is just coming against that place in your heart where you burn for Jesus. And his hope is just to put it out once and for all. And yet, from John 4, God took me to Revelation. And he says this, remember your first love. (laughs) I love that. Remember your first love. Remember that time when your heart did burn. And I love this. He says, do the things you did at first. And I was like, haha, what did I do at first? I gathered with people all the time to worship Jesus and to ask him to do stuff in our lives. That was it. As a college student, that's all I did. I was just like, hey guys, what are you doing? It's Thursday night. Let's get the keys. Let's go worship. And worship was the orienting factor of our life. And it's what we did for fun. And, and we would try things and we'd fast and we'd pray and we'd lay hands on people and ask for healing. We just, I mean, we're just all over whatever the Bible said. We wanted it. And God said to Jonathan, just do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. And so I came back from sabbatical with that thought. Um, and I didn't really know exactly what that meant because that's much easier to do as a college student than it is as a father of six and uh, <laughs> pastoring a church and all the various things. God, how do you do that in this season of my life? Because it's got to be possible. Jesus wouldn't ask us to do anything that's not possible. And so I, we started with just like, what if our staff just started worshiping and praying every day together? What if we just started there? And it was amazing how quickly that fire, just in, the, in that little room over there, the prayer room, it just started this fire in our staff and we started doing that every day. And we're here four years later and we're still doing that. And part of the mission of my life that I, I really honed in on in the last week was that the, the, one of the core missions of my life is to see the power and presence of Jesus released in the church. And that only happens by people who love his presence above all other things. We love him more than we love anything else. And if we have the choice of anything we could do, we would choose to be in his presence. We choose to be with him together. So we've been doing that. Then we started Wednesday nights and then we got to noon worship and we have all this stuff. Most of what you're enjoying today is coming from those little fires that started that are getting fanned into flame week after week. So, all that said, for what? I, I just have felt the Lord so clearly stirring in me the last four years, but even in the last four days. Jonathan, I want your heart. I want your heart. Right? That's above all else. Guard what? Your heart. Guard your heart. Jonathan, I want your heart. And if I could put your name in that sentence right now, that's what he would say to you. I want your heart. I don't want your behavior, right? I don't want perfection. I don't even want your money or anything else. I want your heart. Because if I get your heart, I get everything else. Amen? Amen? That's right. If I get your heart, I don't need to worry about, will you be generous with me? Will you spend time with me? Will you do the things that you know are right? It's like, no. If I have your heart, I get it all. He's after your heart this morning. He's like, Jonathan, I want your heart, and I want your heart to burn for me. I want you to live with passion for me. 
we have allowed the church to be passionless for too long. In fact, you could say that most Christians are passionate about almost everything but the Lord in these days. If you ask them about their favorite sports team, what do you get? You're like, oh man, I love it. You know, fantasy football, we'll spend hours, we'll listen to podcasts, we'll all this stuff. You ask somebody about their business, oh man, it's so cool, we got this deal done, this was awesome, look at all this. And it's all like, like around the phraseology of Christianity and we know how to put it in the right way. It's like God's blessing this, God's doing that, God's doing that. But it's like at the center of this thing really is us. Right? And this bicycle tire, and the Lord becomes like a spoke on the wheel. The church becomes a spoke on the wheel next to money, friends, vacation, all this stuff, rather than the center. So I, I think Jesus, if you look at the New Testament, what happened in the early church, it was all people who came to him, their central passion of life, whether they were a merchant or a missionary or both. <laughs> really, they were both. The central passion of their life was Jesus. And I just felt like the Lord, like asking me to bring you to this place with me this morning, is to ask this question. Right now, is your heart burning for Jesus? And this isn't about you're bad if you're not and you're good if you are. It's just about what you were made for. So I want you to stand to your feet. Would you just close your eyes? As I think about this, I, the Lord just clearly said, Jonathan, one of the main things your life is to do is to remind the church of her first love. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said this, love the Lord your God with everything you are. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything you are, love him. So I just felt the Spirit asking this question this morning is, is in this season of your life, right now, in this moment, is your heart burning for Him? And the great thing is we don't have to force it. We don't have to conjure it up. The first step is just Honesty. just say, if you're just like, yes, my heart's burning for Jesus right now, then our prayer is just, Lord, fan into flame. Build the fire. If you're like, no, I don't, I don't sense that right now in my life. I feel far from God. Or maybe you're even like, I I've never even had a fire. I don't know what that means. The beautiful thing is he knows how to do this work. So I'm going to have Trent sing this phrase, and I want you to stay with eyes closed. And This little phrase just was the anthem of my life in college. We're just going to sing this for a little bit. I want to, just to sing it over you. I just allow you to do some business with the Lord right now. 
And then out of the song, we're just going to worship for a while. And we'll have our prayer team come down in a few moments and, and just be available that for whatever you need, if you need confession this morning or repentance or you, you're just like, I just need to hear from God this morning. Like I needed to hear from that man in that room. I needed God's word spoken over my life. You just need that. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and just come quietly by yourself and just reorient your life, recommit your life, whatever the language is. But this man, Jesus, left the glory of God in the heavens, came to earth to become a man. He took on flesh and blood, becoming like you with all of your problems, all of your weakness, all of your failures, all of your stuff. He bore all that stuff to the cross. And with it, he was purchasing for himself a family. A family that would love him, put him first, enjoy him, listen to him, obey him, be with him. But I love that thing. He called the apostles, the first ones he called them, he said, I'm calling you to be with me. It's his orientation towards you. He just wants you to be with him. He wants to be with you. He wants your heart. Does he have your heart this morning? Be honest. singing that phrase. dry season. Hear Jesus sing these words over you. This is his anthem to you. His heart burns for you. It burns burns for you. his eye. You are his desire. He loves you. And my heart burns for you. Some right now, I just feel this thawing in your life. Just this warming happening. In my heart
for you. Yeah. Yeah, sing out. That's your story. Just sing it out. 